0: This is a presentation of the Pitch Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to Streetwise, the podcast extension of the Pitch from Kansas City. I'm the host and the editor in chief of the Pitch. Brock Wilbur, how are you doing today? I am having the best day. Uh, One of our interns, Sophia, just adopted a rescue cat. His name is Benji. He is tiny. She showed up to the office yesterday for deadline day and brought Benji in. Uh, We gave Benji the entire uh, executive boardroom, Benji's domain. Uh, Sophia also brought in toys. Food, water, everything that a Benji would need. Uh, but overwhelmingly, uh, Benji just wanted to take turns sleeping on every chair and occasionally cuddling with us. Uh, and he had a little harness, and uh, we we use that to use a little leash, walk him around the office, have a fun time. I do not think I could do this with my cats. I think at this point, they would be like, "Look, I've got to explore every inch of this place. You can't put me in here." Uh, Benji, however, uh, is like nine inches long, uh, and tiny and, uh, afraid of the world or happy to be in love with it. It's difficult to tell with the cat, a wonderful time, wonderful time with Benji on deadline day when we were all so busy that we were like, there's not enough minutes in the day and yet Benji is here. So we kept taking breaks just to play with Benji. If the magazine suffered for it, I don't care this time. Uh, You know what? If there's a couple of typos, who cares? I played with Benji all day. Benji gave me licks on the face, and I kissed Benji and played with some beans. I love that cat. Could not be happier. No complaints here. Uh, Anyway, uh, we have a great episode of the Streetwise podcast today. I am talking to a wrestling artist. That's coming up. We have Nick's Music Corner, as per always. Uh, But first, our friend Jason from Stolen Dress Entertainment is going to read a story from our most recent magazine. Uh, It is from Emily Cox. Uh, It's called Block Party. And it's about how uh, the Casey Tenants group spent an entire month uh, just going out every night to fight for the rights of people that were being illegally evicted, forced into a weird corner. I'm going, to let, I'm going to let the story speak for itself. Anyway, uh, here goes that. Block Party. K.C. Tennant's
1: Month of Activism Broke the System. By Emily Cox. Daniel Hafferty was behind on rent. When I made a partial payment in October, my landlord texted me, berating me. Hafferty had been hunting for a job since April, but with a history of cancer and traumatic brain injury, he was cautious about finding a job that would be fairly safe from COVID-19. Hafferty started his new job at the end of November, and made a payment plan to catch up on past due rent. That was fine with his landlord, Ellis Real Estate, until Hafferty asked to delay just two weeks, so he could prevent his utilities from being shut off. Then his landlord stopped communicating. They just cut out all communication to me, and then on Christmas Eve, we had the notice from the lawyer on our door that we were going to be sued for $2,925. They had 30 days to collect the payment and get the apartment back. Evictions are still happening during the pandemic in Kansas City. Thousands of Kansas Citians have been in Hafferty's shoes in the last year, lost income due to the pandemic, a good-faith effort to work with their landlord, and still being tossed out of their home. KC Tenants declared the first month of the year zero eviction January. Through disruptions in person, online, and on the phone, the organization prevented 919 eviction hearings from happening in both Jackson and Clay counties, 90% of all those scheduled for the month. Hafferty was one of the tenants whose hearing was continued to a later date, during which time he was able to borrow money to pay the landlord and find and move into a new home. Of KC tenants, Hafferty says, their work is life saving. KC tenants was founded just two years ago, in February of 2019. They've wasted no time in making change. From their influence on the 2019 municipal elections to creating the city's tenant bill of rights, to organizing tenant unions and shutting down evictions. In some way, we are still a very baby organization, says Tara Ragavir, director of KC Tenants, and in other ways we've built a highly sophisticated, radical group of people who are ready to do what it takes to defend their neighbors and defend themselves. KC Tenants began interceding in eviction proceedings last summer after the initial pandemic eviction moratorium expired at the end of May. The moratorium had been enacted by then-presiding judge of the 16th Circuit Court, which covers Jackson County, so Casey tenants pressured him to renew it. He did not rise to the occasion, and evictions returned to Jackson County last summer. So they pivoted to the strategy of, if we don't get it, shut it down, which also serves well as a chant at their rallies. They begin interrupting eviction courts, making it impossible for dockets to be heard. We did a one-off disruption in July, says Raggeveer. We did a bigger, more orchestrated disruption in October that was extremely successful, and then we ended up seeing some results out of that in the next couple weeks. One result of their continued disruptions in November was Judge Mary Weir ceasing to hear evictions, both online and in person, through the end of 2020. A new presiding judge took over the 16th Circuit Court at the beginning of the year, Judge Dale Youngs. Our posture from the beginning was this guy is not an immediate target until he proves himself to be a target, says Ragaveer. He could potentially do the right thing on day one and end evictions, and it could be a new era for the 16th Circuit Court. Of course, he did not do that. In December, Casey tenants had tried to get a meeting with Judge Youngs to advocate for an eviction moratorium. No response, says Ragavir. We had people email him. No response. On Christmas, we had a small group of people go and peacefully carol at his house in the middle of day. No cameras, no news, just to see if we could talk to him and get a meeting. No response. So after months of sporadic disruptions, with no signs that the presiding judge would halt evictions, they committed to zero eviction January. We really started preparing for the fact that we have to show up for tenants and keep them in their homes, says Janae Manley, a leader and black organizing fellow with KC Tenants. January is one of the coldest months of the year. It's one of the highest months of eviction in a normal year, and we're about to have a flood because the CDC moratorium is about to end. Their campaign produced a month like no other. Ragavir, who is also behind the data-driven KC Eviction Project, says, I've stared at this eviction data for like eight years of my life, and there's never been a month like the last month, where the courts just literally couldn't hear 90% of the evictions that they had scheduled. Their strategy was multifaceted. Daily calls and emails to pressure various political targets, physically blocking courthouse doors on eviction hearing days, disrupting online and teleconference proceedings, and rallies outside judges' homes to make their message clear. Their rallying cry throughout the month was that every eviction is an act of violence. Week 1 In the first week of January, KC Tennant's action forced 323 hearings to be delayed. They shut down eviction proceedings at both Jackson County courthouses with in-person rallies, but most of the work interrupting court happened out of sight and online. Since early in the pandemic, many court proceedings have been done remotely, using either teleconference lines, WebEx video conferencing, or both. Each judge in court may handle their proceedings differently. Evictions are heard in as many as four courtrooms, with both afternoon and evening dockets. This means KC Tenants was facilitating up to eight separate disruption crews successfully. One of the people coordinating this work is Bonnie, who has to be identified by first name only due to the possible legal issues that come with interrupting court proceedings. Bonnie isn't a Kansas Cityan. She is a homeowner ally who lives about an hour outside of the metro. When a friend shared info last year about what Casey Tennant's was doing and that she could help from afar, she got involved. Once I'd done an action once, says Bonnie, I was totally hooked. Disruptors call or log into the court's hearing, often using false names, and wait for proceedings to start. As soon as the judge calls the first case on the docket, interruption begins. They use the same script, the words growing in power with repetition. Initially, speakers go one at a time, but as court administrators mute speakers, disruptors jump in as they can, creating a cacophony of voices offering support to tenants and condemning the judge's actions. The script feels really powerful to say, says Bonnie, and the things we say in that script, they're just as much for the tenants to hear as they are for the judge, letting tenants know it's not their fault. We're here in solidarity. We also tell the judges that they have a choice and every eviction is an act of violence. So it serves that dual purpose of telling the judge what they're doing is wrong, but also telling the tenants we're here to help. People out there do care. We've had phone calls with tenants afterwards, says Bonnie, saying even though we've only been able to delay their hearing for three weeks, they say, we didn't know anyone cared. And this gives them time to figure things out. An additional three weeks can be critical for a family trying to find another place to live. We've had tenants who've called who are like, I didn't know that anyone had my back until I heard you guys on the call. Who are now a part of KC Tenants, says Janae Manley. That's power knowing that your neighbor has your back, not because they said it, but because they showed up and shut down eviction courts, and now you're also committed to showing up and shutting down eviction court. That's power. That's a key part of what KC Tenants does. Care for neighbors is shown not just with words, but with action. This group doesn't just have meetings and talk about problems all day long, says Bonnie. They actually get out and do stuff, and it's actually helping people. Supporters from outside the metro, like Bonnie, were essential in KC Tennant's success in shutting down evictions in January. Raggevier says, We have people from Seattle and Maine and Los Angeles shutting down eviction court in Kansas City. The online disruptions are not only a super acceptable and COVID-safe way to take a pretty radical action, it's also a way for communities where evictions are not happening right now to show radical solidarity with us. And it's just the embodiment to me of what solidarity means taking action for someone you don't even know, someone you're not even a neighbor to, just because their eviction doesn't get to happen that day. The campaign also featured daily emails to supporters with calls to action that could be taken from anywhere. Over the course of the month, the email list for these actions grew to over 450 participants. The actions often included calling, emailing, and faxing Judge Young's office. They also included calls to city council people to advocate for an eviction moratorium, as well as the cancellation of rent, including rent debt. A eviction moratorium without rent cancellation will only burden tenants with debt that will lead to evictions once the moratorium is lifted, reads the action email. That ain't right. Their mobilization to contact Congressman Emanuel Cleaver mid-month elicited words of support from him when he released a statement calling on Biden's administration to strengthen the national eviction moratorium. Their demands became even more resonant when, on Friday, January 8th, civil process deputies shot a tenant, Eric Smith, three times as they evicted him from his home. Smith's family had informed the court that Smith was having a mental health crisis and requested they bring a mental health counselor with them. They did not. As this tenant went to the hospital in serious condition, Casey tenants mobilized. So that day was actually pretty emotional, says Janae Manley. We had been spending days, months, naming that every eviction is an act of violence. And because this was the most brutal version of violence, it is easily seen. But this was violence before a tenant was shot. This was violence when they knocked on his door. This was violent when they evicted him from his house. When the judge decided to evict him, it was violent. But people only see it as violence when a gun is shot and a tenant is in the hospital. Black people are harassed every day, says Manley. We can't just say that we matter after we die. We can't just say people matter after they are shot. We have to matter from the jump, especially in a pandemic where we know the only way that people can stay safe is by staying in their house. The violence happens the moment that he was given an eviction notice. The afternoon of the deputy's shooting, Casey tenants put out a call to action. And with just a few hours' notice, 80 supporters gathered in Midtown and marched a few blocks to Judge Dale Young's house for accountability. The civil process deputies are officers of the court and ultimately answer to him, The crowd gathered outside Young's home with chants and speeches and a banner that read, Judge Young's, you have blood on your hands. Judge Young's did not answer a knock on his door, but the protesters left a letter for him and the banner hanging behind. They were gone in less than an hour. The purpose wasn't to get arrested, but to make their point and go home. Week 2 Their message to Young's appeared to be effective. On Monday morning, January 11th, Judge Young's announced a two-week eviction moratorium. A true moratorium. No eviction summons, no hearings, no writs of execution. The reasons cited in his administrative order included concerns about social and political unrest and the safety of court staff. Janae Manley balked at the irony of the order. When you talk about, oh well, for the safety of our employees, we're going to suspend evictions, but you don't have that same need to keep people safe in their home, you could have suspended evictions for the safety of tenants. The CDC named that that's the only way to keep people safe. But you do it for the safety of your employees because there's protests outside. The judges were uncomfortable, not unsafe. But tenants are unsafe. While a two-week stay on evictions aided the goal of zero evictions for the month, it was a small win. An eviction moratorium is a band-aid," says Manley. It is a must. We have to end all evictions right now. And I think that Judge Dale Youngs has the power to do it, and he should. I think it is only moral. It is only right. But more importantly, I think we need to cancel rent and forgive the debt that has been accrued by tenants throughout this pandemic. I think that is the long-term solution to keep tenants from falling into deep holes of depression and debt in the middle of a pandemic that we know is no fault of their own. There is precedent and support for an eviction moratorium. The presiding judge of the 22nd Circuit Court in St. Louis, Judge Young's counterpart on that side of the state, has enacted a moratorium there for the entirety of the pandemic. Other cities and states are doing the same, Mayor Quinton Lucas publicly called for the courts here to enact a moratorium in December, but Kansas Cityans are still being evicted. While the CDC order against evictions has been in effect since September, it offers only limited protection. The tenant must file a specific document stating their eligibility. It only protects tenants who are past due on rent for COVID-related reasons. Landlords can still file evictions and take them to court and argue against them. What Casey Tenant's Mayor Lucas and other tenant advocates are calling for is a stop to all filings, hearings, writs, and enforcement. Eviction is already a fundamentally traumatic event, both a cause and a condition of poverty, wrote Mayor Lucas in his public letter to Judge Young's. Evictions cause serious health and economic crises, exacerbating harms from the pandemic itself, continued Mayor Lucas. Homelessness and relocation stress add another barrier for the unemployed and working class as they strive to enter the workforce. Further, landlords file evictions at disproportionate rates in black and brown neighborhoods, reinforcing decades of racial inequities. A recent study in Oregon showed that the downstream cost of evictions to the government was many times greater than the cost of current rent debt in the state. That is, it would be cheaper for the government to pay tenants back rent, keeping them in their homes, than to pay for the additional costs of emergency housing, medical services and more that are caused by a mass eviction of people in crisis. And the current court processes pose problems of inaccessibility and inequality. Remote hearings can be an obstacle, especially for tenants who are elderly or disabled. The online evictions are immoral, says Manley. It is wrong to assume that tenants have access to conference calls or WebEx in order to be evicted from their home. You have to have access to stable internet when you don't have stable housing. You have to have access to stable connection on phones when you don't have access to stable housing. That's unacceptable. On Tuesday, January 12th, Casey tenants rallied at the Office of Civil Process for Accountability for Wrongs Done in the Process of Evictions. They rallied for Eric Smith, who had been shot four days prior, and for Anthony Stinson, a single dad of kids aged 10 and 2. Back in December, Stinson was surprised to find an eviction notice on his door, telling him to vacate. He'd never received a court summons. Records show that it was served to a Jane Doe. Unless they served my 10-year-old daughter, says Stinson, there's no Jane Doe. Judge Kendra Stockdale then issued a default eviction judgment against me in December. I should have been protected by the CDC moratorium, but how could I fight for myself if I didn't know I was being taken to court? He didn't get the opportunity. In January, the court's deputies showed up at my door. It was pouring rain and 20 degrees. They told me to grab what I could and get out of there, so they could get out of the rain. They said I could come back to get my stuff. They lied to me. When I left that day, the landlord changed the locks. They never intended to let me back in. He didn't have many of his things, including his daughter's school supplies or his medications. On the January 12th rally at the Office of Civil Process, KC tenants stood alongside him to demand a meeting. They refused, says Stinson. But we didn't back down. We hollered at the doors till they were forced to make a deal with me. I'm getting my stuff back tomorrow. Week 3 The third week of January, with the two-week eviction moratorium still in place, KC tenants focused their energy on new targets rallying at the homes of Judge Kendra Stockdale in Mission Hills and Judge Mary Weir in Brookside. KC tenants sought to call out judges for their complicity in a system that removes people from their homes during a pandemic in the heart of winter and called on the judges to use their judicial authority and discretion to halt evictions in their courtrooms. As people gathered in the parking lot of Country Club Christian Church on the evening of January 19th, preparing to march to Judge Stockdale's home, Ragavir gave the rundown for the meeting. She acknowledged that this might be out of folks' comfort zone. Surrounded by 75 or so working-class, multiracial people in one of the wealthiest areas of the metro, she said, this is a scary part of town for most of us. The marching crowd's energetic chants, Judge Stockdale, where do you stand? People are dying, you have blood on your hands, rang particularly loud in that quiet, spacious neighborhood that likely hasn't seen a protest in decades. Janae Manley's twin children were with her at the rally, on the eve of their seventh birthday. As we were walking on the street, my son said, Mom, why are these houses so big? I told him, it's because it's the judge's house. He said, this is the judge that evicts people from apartments? Yeah, man. Stockdale has evicted more tenants than any other judge in the 16th Circuit, according to Casey Tenants, having heard at least 835 cases since June, with at least 361 of those receiving formal eviction judgments. The rally gathered outside Judge Stockdale's large brick mansion, the only home on the block with its lights out, with a cluster of police watching from down the block, a helicopter lurking overhead, and neighbors peering out their front doors. Protesters held signs reading, end evictions, And you have a choice. As speakers called for an end to the violence of evictions, a huge shooting star streaked across the sky. The next day, Casey tenants expanded their court disruptions to Clay County for the first time preventing 37 eviction hearings from happening. The next week, Clay County preemptively continued all their cases, rightly anticipating that Casey tenants planned to disrupt again. Week 4 Judge Young's two-week moratorium lapsed on January 24th, which meant if evictions were to be halted, it would be up to Casey tenants. They did as they promised, rallying at the downtown courthouse doors on Thursday, January 28th, in 25-degree weather for two hours. The cavalry isn't coming, said Casey Tennant's leader, Gaddafi to the rally that day. We're the cavalry. Energy remained high despite the cold. The morning was launched with music booming across the courthouse's plaza, including guillotine by the coup and its cheery chorus We got the guillotine, you better run. While the blocking of courthouse doors is largely symbolic most hearings happen online and sheriffs were ushering people around to get access through the employee door it was not an empty gesture. When tenants arrived at the court building and saw KC tenants proclaiming that evictions must end, there were also KC tenants' members ready on the sidewalks to talk to them about what they were doing and offer support. In addition to impeding traffic into the courthouse, the rally was a very obvious, bright spectacle. Cars honked as they passed. A downtown ambassador stopped what he was doing across the street and watched, eventually crossing to take a photo, saying, I'm with y'all. The spectacle continues the work of KC tenants in letting people know that they are here and they care. Their presence and their action is a balm to the many Kansas Cityans who are feeling beat down, especially over the last year. Even if you aren't immediately facing eviction, it can be heartening to know there are people showing up with their bodies, in the cold, to stand up for their neighbors, to see that the people have power and are fighting back against injustice. A man came by the courthouse to pay his taxes, and Ragavier explained to him what was happening. She got on the mic and told the rally about the interaction. I said, sir, we're stopping evictions. He said, the president still hasn't signed a damn bill? That's right. So the people who are out here today, even the ones who aren't here regarding landlord-tenant court, and they know that we shouldn't have to do this shit. We shouldn't have to stand out here. Our toes shouldn't have to be this damn cold. We shouldn't have to shut it down. But if they don't fucking act, if the president doesn't sign the damn bill, if Youngs doesn't do the thing he has the authority to do, if Judge Young's doesn't end evictions, then we will shut it down." And for the entire month they did. The fact that they were able to stop over 900 evictions is just incredible, says Bonnie. When you think about how many lives that affected, how many families that affected, it's a huge number of people that now have at least a few more weeks to try and figure things out and still have a safe place to call home. After a month of intense, continuous action, Casey tenants learned what they are made of. That was part of the challenge from the beginning. Ragavir says, we wanted to see. Can we pull this off? Do we have enough people? What degree of organizing do we need to be able to execute on something like this? And who do we need to develop into what kind of leadership roles to pull it off? Manly was awed by the way people showed up. The whole team just threw down. It was wow. At the end of the month, they tallied it up and found that 64 leaders took on new roles. That's 64 leaders in Kansas City now, says Ragavir, whose lives are transformed who have a new analysis of their own power, our collective power, and are ready to wield that power in a really radical direction. Once people feel the power of collective action, once people are politicized in public, you can't undo that. You can't untransform someone's life after that transformation has occurred. Bonnie is one of the people who stepped up this month. I've never been a part of something like this before. I heard Tara one time say, charity is not liberation. I keep thinking of that. All the things I'd tried to do before to help make the world a better place was just charity. It wasn't actually building power, which is what Casey Tennants is all about. It's about building people power. And that's just been such a huge paradigm shift for me. My kids know, says Manley. They're not going to an action for someone else. They're not going to an action for some feeling of, oh, look at what we did. No, they're going because they know it will be us. This is not like a volunteer thing. This is not something we show up for other people. We show up for one another. That means you and me. I think every time my kids show up to an action, they get this clear political understanding of what it means to build collectiveness. So, what's next? This campaign built the breadth and depth of their power, and now they must decide how to wield it. During their debrief after the last eviction shutdowns, they realized, says Ragavir, if an action needed to occur that night at 7 p.m., we have everything we need to go pull it off. And not just pull it off, but pull it off really excellently. We have a security team. We have police liaisons, we have people running press, we have amazing powerful spokespeople, we've got an art team, we've got people who are ready to do childcare for their parents who have to bring their kids, we've got ride plans, we've got a medic team. The kind of infrastructure we've been able to build in the last month sets us up for success. Their infrastructure also includes a research and data team tracking what is happening in the courts. We scrape the courts' websites multiple times a week, every week, so we have the most accurate numbers on this out of anyone. Now that KC Tenants has a handle on how courts function and what they need to interrupt those functions, they are a well-oiled machine. It was initially a ton of work for me to figure out and our data team to figure out, says Ragavir. Like how do we get all the info that we need? At this point, we've done this shit like fifteen times. I could set up the infrastructure for a given week in like 30 minutes. The first week of February, with no fanfare or publicity, they decided to show up to remote hearings for Eastern Jackson County. We noticed that 95 people were on the eviction docket in Independence, in the Eastern Jackson County Courthouse, says Ragavir, So we organized literally four people to go shut that down. Another 95 evictions are now delayed at least a couple weeks. So as their group strategizes what's next, Ragavir says, it's possible that zero eviction January becomes zero eviction 2021. At the same time, she says, I think there's a real recognition that we can't just run ourselves into the ground doing what is, in essence, reactive organizing. The organization had paused other projects as they dedicated all their power to blocking the month's evictions. So, for example, we're trying to launch a campaign to win a housing trust fund that we the people design, as opposed to nonprofits and developers, says Ragavir. And we want it to be a campaign that is funded by defunding the police. That's a whole multi-year effort that we're about to kick off, that we actually need to kick off, if we're ever going to be in a world where we're not just fighting against every eviction at every turn. They're also working on building a network of tenant unions across the city. They spent the summer and fall dropping flyers with tenant resources at 10,000 doors. These larger-scale power-building projects are critical to making substantial long-term change in the city. Whatever comes next, this month has strengthened them for it. If the leaders and tenants decide that they want to keep doing this, says Bonnie, then me and a whole lot of other people are ready to throw down with them and make sure it stops. KC Tenants has been the first invitation for a lot of our people into public and political life, says Ragavir. But now that they're here, now that they're politicized, now that they're clear on the power and our collective power, they're not going anywhere. She continues, We are growing a powerful and undeniable base of poor and working class people in Kansas City, who are fed up
0: and they are ready to do what it takes to fight for what they are owed. That one's crazy, right? That was like a lot of things? Yeah, that was many things. Anyway, here is, as always... Mr. Nick's Music Corner.
2: Hello, I'm Nick Spasic, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. Over the course of their eight-year history, Kansas City band Merlin has undergone a musical evolution which most acts can only dream of. Their 2013 self-titled debut was a dirgy doom effort, and in the band's words, was crudely recorded and messy. By the following year, though, Merlin was releasing Christkiller, a concept album loosely based on Nick Cave's unused screenplay for the sequel to Gladiator. 2016's Electric Children ended with Tales of the Wasteland, a 23-minute desert rock epic, referencing both Stephen King's Gunslinger series and Sleep's Dragonaut. The Wizard and The Mortal, in 2018 and 2019 respectively, saw the band branch out even further, incorporating Stu Kirsting's saxophone to craft skronk-laden prog, drawing in equal measures from King Crimson and The Stooges. While they released Tales from the Wizard's Lair, a collection of demos and jams last year which featured covers of King Crimson, Jeff the Brotherhood, and Pentagram, new music from the band hadn't appeared in over a year and a half until Merlin dropped their single The Revenger last month. Almost entirely instrumental until two-thirds of the way through the over-six-minute track, The Revenger sees Merlin leaning heavily into cyberpunk and dark synth sounds, while still featuring big riffs and creepy, ominous lyrics. If this is where they're headed for their sixth LP, I am ready to hear more. You can stream this on Spotify or Get It and the band's entire discography as pay-what-you-want downloads at merlin666.bandcamp.com. Here's The Revenger.
0: So my friend Rob here, uh, (laughs) we've we've recently become friends. It's that sort of pandemic friend thing where you're like, oh, we should hang out more. But we can't. Uh, But we clearly are aligned in some beliefs and interests. Uh, Rob's job is that he is one of the official artists for WWE uh, World Wrestling Entertainment. Uh, He does just a crazy amount of art for the wrestlers and for the events based around this. And he's just a guy here in Kansas City. And it's just like, okay. It's it's crazy that uh they were like, yeah, that guy. Uh let him do all this. And he's been doing it for a while now. The art is incredible. I, I I I highly encourage you to Google him and go check out his work and his website. Um he is doing a very interesting thing where he goes out of his way to try and capture the spirit and the energy of all of these characters that are part of wrestling and and as you will hear in the conversation i was not on board for wrestling until very recently and then i very much was uh and so i don't know just uh, really exciting to know that there is a local guy that is spearheading this and and his work is incredible so here is our conversation Rob, welcome to the podcast. Uh, would you introduce yourself to the audience and talk about what you do?
3: Yeah, I'm Rob Schamberger. I'm the Artist in Residence for WWE. Um, meaning, I make. Which
0: agree, the- like uh, in a in a sport dedicated to titles, that's a hell of a title. The Artist in Residence for WWE, like I, it's just I, it's one of the all time coolest. Like I, I think there's something better about the title than even being a wrestler because there's a lot of those. You're just the artist in residence for them.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's me. (laughs) It's, uh, um, yeah, I've been working with them for seven or eight years now and uh, been able to stay here in Kansas City. It's a good way to make a living.
0: I guess that's one of those careers that, like, yeah, you can sort of do it from anywhere. Like, do they ever have to fly you out for anything or is it the sort of thing that you're like, I I know what I'm supposed to be designing here?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, pre-pandemic I would be at about a show a month. Um, you know, getting that FaceTime in is important, and then of course like WrestleMania, I'll be there for like that whole week, painting live, and and uh, like they have like a, a convention called Access for the week leading up to it, and I'll be there that whole time. Obviously not this year or last year, but uh, otherwise I'm, I'm there with them. Yeah,
0: I, I like the, the the, the bringing you in for the big stuff because it feels like uh uh, a courtroom artist for closed courtrooms like you're <laughs> you're sort of doing to to writing what yeah like that's
3: <laughs> yeah um and, and like the paintings themselves it uh like my my big approach with it is that it doesn't just look like the subject but like feels like how it is to watch the
0: energy yeah
3: (laughs) yeah and uh this past year especially um the the fans of of wwe have really been into that because the shows had to be modified because there's no crowd right Right. uh but um like when you look at my paintings you still get that that same energy and feeling you know before this current environment
0: and how much of that comes from actually like meeting the guys or like interviewing them about stuff. Do you do you sit down with the newbies and be like, help me understand you? Or is it just what you get from like uh, a fan's perspective, like the, the, the energy that they put out into the world?
3: <laughs> yeah. With, with the art, it's definitely more about that outsider's point of view. Um I, I want to give the person buying this the same feeling again, that they have watching it. And uh-huh. so if I'm, more looking at maybe what they're trying to do um, that doesn't gotcha. come across as much. Uh, instead, it's more about, uh, you know, just getting the, the same feeling that the fans have.
0: When did you fall in love with wrestling? What's your, what is your life path here?
3: I I, I didn't grow up on it. Um, single mom household with one TV. And I don't know, like Murder, She Wrote was on at the same time or something. So I didn't get to watch it. Uh, you
0: you could have been the Murder, She Wrote artist in residence. There's a whole I, different path for you. <laughs>
3: could have been. Uh, and I guess it's all come full circle because WWE is now on Peacock. the the streaming service, which has like all 2,000 seasons of murder she wrote on there. Um, And and so it's like all in one home now. So uh, yeah, full circle. Side note, Jessica Fletcher is actually the one that kills everyone. Um, Like she gets to those places before the people die. The stupid cops never put it together. Like she's killing all these people. She's murdering them.
0: Somebody ran the numbers a few years ago based on the population of Abbott Cove and something like 12% 12% of people living there died grisly murders. It's like, it's just high, right? Like, that's <laughs> it's just too many.
3: <laughs> yeah, and it's all her. Like, she is the worst serial killer in human history. Anyway. It would, it would um, actually be
0: such an interesting prompt if, if they had deliberately done that, and like, the thing each week was that she had to put together a different solution to the murder to, to, to finger somebody else, and get them to sort of admit to it. Like, that that's that's a, a more interesting reverse engineer of a murder mystery show,
3: and then write a novel about it. Because
0: um. yeah. <laughs> see, you can't you can't make money off a crime that you've done by writing about it. Uh, much to uh, Charles Manson's dismay. So, like, right. yes, if she keeps writing, if she keeps profiting off of her own murders, oh, <laughs> this is wonderful.
3: <laughs> the, the the relaunch of this show just is they're waiting, and no one has the guts to do it.
0: I, I, I just rewatched basic instinct for the first time in two decades and we've just reverse engineered that. So never mind. We can... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: So uh, my mom remarried and um, my, around the time I was like 16, 17, but then uh, I'd moved out on my own. And then I was back there doing laundry, like an 18 year old does. Mm. And my stepfather was a wrestling fan back in the sixties and seventies like he would go to Memorial hall and watch Bob Geigel and Harley race and all those guys. Um, but he was flipping through the channels and landed on Ric Flair doing a promo. (laughs) And it, it, uh, the, as the lingo goes, they talked me into the building. Like, uh, like the, the clouds parted. I heard the angel choir. I'm like, I get this. And that was like, uh, around 98, 99 that time. And, uh, you know just uh, stayed a fan from then on
0: who was who was your first guy who was your first that you were the biggest fan of
3: the rock you know that was when he was really firing at all cylinders um i think stone cold had gotten injured right before i started watching so it was uh you know rock really filling that that role as the star and then uh, quickly, uh, you know, like getting more into it, uh, guys like uh, Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys and Chris Jericho, um, like the, the ones that were like really doing the art, the work. I mean, not that Rock uh-huh. wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, these guys had like a whole other gear that uh, really uh, kept my interest.
0: You know, uh, the, the, uh, other random white guys have a lot more work to come up with and maintain a persona than it is to be the guy that has a line and an eyebrow. Like he was fine. He could just coast if he needed to. <laughs> and,
3: and, you know, he was also like maybe the best talker the business has ever had. And right. you know, I don't know. I don't know what he's done since wrestling. I mean, maybe he's got a future <laughs> to him.
0: <laughs> I, I, I do not think I will soon forget the day that uh, I went to Alamo Draft House at two in the afternoon on the opening day of the Jumanji movie. expecting to be watching just some piece of shit that I was going to get drunk through in the afternoon and the the uh, like a group of women from like an office were the only other people there and they wound up sitting right next to me and they'd never seen like the pre-show at an Alamo draft house and they're like what are all these weird like ads and they are sort of explaining that and they're like we don't really know what this is about I was like oh, it's based on like a board game from a long time ago. And you could just see them getting more and more concerned about how it was going to go. And then one of the funniest comedies I've ever seen played out. And like me and Carol and her friends from the office just shared it all at 2 p.m. that day. And like, I kind of wish that I'd taken down one of their names or something. Because like, you remember back when you could have a shared movie experience and it wound up being around Jumanji and none of us were ready for it. So yeah, I'm here for anything The Rock wants to do. My uh,
3: best movie-going experience was similar, but very different. Uh, I I went to see A History of Violence, and it was uh, at the Cinemark in Merriam, and it was me and two middle-aged women, and uh, as we're walking out, they're right behind me, and I hear one of them say to the other one, I had no idea this movie would be so violent.
0: Oh, boy! (laughs) (laughs)
3: Oh, boy. And, <laughs> like even if the
1: American movie had sucked I've never heard. yeah yeah
0: <laughs> like no the comedy writer could... the history it was in the past why would it be happening now <laughs> oh my god my my all-time worst uh, which winds up coming up uh in, in discussion of, of cinema a lot lately in terms especially of like social responsibility is uh was in a, a theater full of people watching uh the, the first lego movie I was just in slack jawed and awe of how wonderful it is, and in the last ten minutes or that or so of that movie, where it's revealed that uh, the meta story of this is all about yeah. Will, Will Ferrell playing a dad who's who's a shitty dad and and like won't share joy with his children, and a couple rows in front of me a dad and his two young sons the dad just stood up and took the kids by the hand and walked them out of the theater 10 minutes left in the movie but he was like "Mm, i don't want them getting ideas and i think i might like i was like you just showed your whole ass by doing this like everyone here knows you're a bad man you're not going to be able to hide it for long the lego movie is not the last time this will come
3: up he's like oh man i'm gonna be paying for so much therapy for these kids (laughs)
0: so what was your line into the art side of things have you always been an artist did you did you have to carve out the niche of of, of like your your style in a specific way
3: it uh started around when i was eight i got my first comic book and i just like knew in that moment i wanted to be someone that makes something like this uh it was an issue of the incredible hulk uh it uh like just like again clouds parted her the angel choir and um, you know, by the time I was, I think twelve, I was writing and drawing my own comics. And by the time I was seventeen, I was uh self-distributing around here, uh kind of MC Hammer style out of the trunk of your car out of, of the
0: car. trunk of your car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh
3: and uh, uh so yeah, from like when I was seventeen uh on, it was I'm a professional artist that has a day job to pay for my career. And it wasn't until I had transitioned to uh, focusing on wrestling that uh, I was able to make that full-time switch.
0: Were you sort of doing like uh, fan stuff and commissions? Like, how did you catch the attention of the world wrestling event, right?
3: Yeah, it, it again goes to the thing like, as a comic artist, I was never going to be the guy drawing Batman or the X-Men. I just didn't have that skill. <laughs> and, and like, I finally had that like moment of realization And I was doing gallery work and I was uh, focusing on like jazz and pinup type stuff. And again, like I wasn't standing out because there were so many people in those spaces, more established, better off. So I was trying to find a way to stand out. And it was uh, the old marketing maxim that you want to be the first the best or completely different that's how you can stand out (laughs) and um like i had that like moment of realization no one's doing fine art of pro wrestling and then it's like holy moly no one is doing this and i launched a kickstarter and within a month raised 20 grand was able to quit the job and then i like took it on the road and like any kind of wrestling type thing like conventions or there there was a museum event that i uh displayed at and uh through that uh made connections with wwe and then they were coming here to town for a show and i reached out to my contacts that i had made and said like hey i want to do a make a wish fundraiser where all the money from the show will you know go to fund a kid's wish and they uh helped me promote that um like triple h tweeted out about it and they sent me like uh items for a raffle um it was really neat but um they went the extra step and said like we need to actually work with this guy and uh so then i get the call and uh they're like hey we had a department head meeting about the ways we want to work together and like a multi-year plan and are you interested yeah,
0: sure. I love the idea of getting everyone from the different departments together before even seeing if you were interested in the gig. Like, <laughs>
3: yeah, that, you know, like that's that's their style. Like, if they're going to work with someone, they want to. How is this going to work? And uh, they they really went with that, and um, you know, showed me they were serious, and so that made me serious for sure.
0: What was the first time that you remember uh, one of the wrestlers like reaching out to say like, "Hey." good job or like hey can i get a copy of that
3: (laughs) it was when i was working on the uh the kickstarter project um that that one was a thing i'm still working on of painting every world champion ever going back to like 1905 with george hackenschmidt yeah it's a it's a big project but um several uh like former or current world champions at that time we're reaching out, like, "Hey, uh, you're going to do mine, right?" And the first person that actually bought one from me, if uh, I know you're about the same age as I am, so you'll you'll get this reference, was David Arquette.
0: Wonderful, um, yes. yes.
3: Perfect. <laughs> he was WCW World Champion at one point uh, around the time that they were promoting that movie, and uh, he reached out and he's got it hanging in his living room.
0: <laughs> he just seems like a, I, I love watching somebody that you already inherently like. I think I like him. Just go off the deep end, but in the most pleasant ways where you're like, yeah, absolutely. That That is even cooler than what he was doing before. Yeah. Uh,
3: and yeah, especially like if you were to like talk to like your 15 year old self, like, right. okay, here's this guy that's going to be in these major movies. He's going to be at one point married to someone from Friends. And then after that, he's going to occasionally do pro wrestling and manage
0: a strip club. <laughs> so you know Dewey from Scream. Now stay with me here. Um, <laughs> what what is it that you um, what is it that you say to people that like I <laughs> I know you must get like wrestling, but why wrestling? Like I, like I <laughs> a few years ago, I had some friends that took me under their wing, and they're like, I know you would like wrestling. I was like, I'm not sure yet. Uh, and then they started <laughs> having me over uh, for. Uh, a lot of the big events we'd watch Uh and it it was a boyfriend girlfriend couple uh and what they would do is that one of the they would alternate this one of them would explain to me what the character is and then one of them would explain to me the meta backstory of like where this person came from how the character developed like how they got into this and so on and then it would bounce back to like and here's more of the fictional things, including like the problems that they've had with this person or that person. And then they would bounce back yet again, often, especially lately to like, but here's the problematic things that they've set outside of the ring. And I would watch, <laughs> I would watch the, the two of them in this couple, like have these giant battles, mostly about the lore of like whether or not I should like this person or, 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 or the future of what they're doing and so on and so forth. Anyway, I got to bring it up at their wedding that I was like, hey, my, my speech is just like, I know they're going to make it because you got to hear about these wrestling fights. I just sat there for 40 minutes. I, I didn't even watch the wrestling. I just watched the two of them bicker their way through wrestling lore and I know it's how they're in love. So, like, <laughs> I, I understand what it's like to, to be a convert. What is it that you tell people like, when they're like, is wrestling fun? Is that a thing that adults enjoy? Like, what 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 do you do with that? <laughs>
3: uh, it, it's... Uh it's another form of fictional entertainment. Um, and and it's definitely a lot easier now than when I started with, uh, the, the Marvel movies, especially like just dominating our culture. Someone liking WWE is not that different from someone wearing an Avengers t-shirt. It's, (laughs) (laughs) um, it's not a big leap there. And actually like the kind of thing that got me into wrestling is my, uh, obsessive personality. Like, I know the real name, superpower and home planet of every member of the legion of superheroes. So getting into something that is like one ongoing story that started back in 1905 uh was just Nirvana to me. It, you know like you can go deep, right? Like it's uh uh you know for like music heads, right? Like okay, there's certain musicians that did a few good songs or had one or two good albums and then there is the ones that have a lengthy career that you can really go deep in right uh pro wrestling is like that like you can watch it on the surface or you can just really dig into it um and it you know just works perfectly with the way that i work like my my kind of style of uh especially with that background in comics again it's uh they, they fit hand in hand um and, and you know there's a long history between wrestling and comics as well mm-hmm. um so yeah it, it uh, is just a pure synergy
0: i i know it's been a point of discussion for a couple of years now but do you hope that in the near future we'll see you know health care and other protections for for members of, of the wrestling community
3: i mean i hope that for every american um <laughs>
0: that was actually that was the perfect answer never mind yeah. me. i mean I know, i'm, I I'm someone kind of with a heart employee. condition that just
3: lived through a pandemic like i just got my uh second uh shot last week right like okay i don't have to worry about dying just simply walking out my front door as a uh, a professional artist um, right yeah i <laughs> i want good health care for everyone
0: <laughs> what, what what's your next big project where can people uh find you and support your work and what is it what is it that you're diving into next
3: yeah uh i debut a new painting every sunday uh my website is Uh s-c-h-a-m-b-e-r-g-e-r labs uh perfect name for audio uh, <laughs> the, uh you can see all of my artwork there uh new new thing every sunday we're leading into wrestlemania Uh, it'll be a two-night event this year april 10th and 11th so uh, a lot of my uh, work is going to be geared towards that leading into it uh that's definitely the big thing on the horizon
0: uh well thank you so much for chatting with me today where can people uh, follow you online what are your social medias
3: yeah uh twitter and instagram is at rob shamburger that same spelling i just did earlier uh and uh um, very active on there. I, I don't do Facebook anymore. Um, you know, That's the
0: right call. <laughs>
3: yeah. And uh, on YouTube, um, I have a weekly show with WWE. Uh, it's kind of like on the, the Bob Ross of pro wrestling. Uh, it's called <laughs> Canvas to Canvas. It's on their channel every uh, Monday. Do
0: some angry little trees. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> with someone doing a flying elbow off the top. <laughs>
0: All right, man. You have yourself a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brock. And that's been Streetwise, the podcast extension of The Pitch from Kansas City. I am Brock Wilbur, your host and the editor-in-chief of The Pitch. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thepitchkc.com. We are doing news every single day, as we are always doing. We are trying our hardest to be the voice of the city, and we hope that you appreciate what we are doing. And even if you don't, well, we're still doing it. Uh, If you ever want to chuck a couple of bucks our way to keep the lights on, we would appreciate that. We are having a wonderful time. We just wrapped the issue for next month's magazine. It is a doozy in a very positive way. Uh, It is themed around the idea of good vibes only. It is about everything that we are going to do this summer when the world starts to truly open up and we get the green light to be cool and fun again and oh my god we can't wait for it anyway uh please please follow what we are doing thank you so much for listening to this pitch in and we will make it through bye